welcome to Maximum Roll Entertainment Podcast, where we take the time to interview folks within the gaming industry. And today we have Mark Reinhagen and Jason Brandon joining us from Lost Lorne Games. Mark is an RPG card and video game designer. Mark is also the creator of Vampires and Masquerade and associated with Worlds of Darkness Games. Mark is also a co-designer of Ars Magica. Mark is also working on a new project called Lost Lorne with its first publication, The Curse of the Bloodstone Isles. Jason Brandon is one of the writers for Lost Lorne and serves as the managing director of Lost Lorne Games. Welcome, gentlemen. You know, the one question I always ask everybody about what they're doing first, uh, their new projects, but I kind of want to go back, kind of geek out a little bit. Uh, I played Masquerade back in high school, and I never thought, you know, 25 years later that I'd be able to say, hey, Mark, what what was your concept of like designing that world? What how did you come up with it? Well, as the uh, I, I would have been basically uh, wrote Ars Magica in Minnesota with my partner, uh, uh, Jonathan Tweet, who ended up being the third edition designer of Dungeons and Dragons. And um, uh, basically, I moved to Atlanta uh, because someone agreed to give us money and I was tired of being poor. And Ars Magica was a award-winning game, but of course, often award-winning does not mean uh, sells well. Uh, right. Vampire and the World of Darkness never won many awards, but they were very good uh, bestsellers, of course. Uh, so anyway, I moved to Atlanta and I was just desperate to come up with a new game idea. And so I came with this game idea called Inferno, where you play someone famous who's in hell uh, and we're playtesting one day, and I was going, I am the great Lord Asmodeus. And I had a fire behind me in this house that we're in, in the fireplace, and suddenly I heard a crash. And the pizza driver had uh, let the brake off in his car and had rolled down the hill under the electric transformer. Uh, he was in the car trying to start it when I was ran out. And I was like, dude, get out of the car. He wouldn't get out of the car. I finally pulled him out of his car, and this Domino's pizza truck blew up. And when it did, uh, it blew up every computer, cell phone, regular phone, fax machine. Yes, we had fax machines back then. And we were out of business. Um, so anyway, I gave up on Inferno. I made a deal with Domino's that instead of suing them, they would pay me off in four days nice. after being on the phone nonstop for four days. I would not leave them alone. I threatened to fly to their office and camp outside with a picket sign. Because, you know, we would be out of business if we didn't get paid. So anyway, we're uh, that summer, a few months later, we're on our way to Gen Con, and I was still, I was desperate for a new idea. And we're going through Gary, Indiana, um, you know, at night, and you can see the flames coming up and these wrecks of everything. And, and I started telling the guys in the, in the car, yeah, I remember Gary, Indiana, you know, it just reminds me of a game I was trying to do with Jonathan about, you know, sort of a gothic, modern gothic horror game. And, and I was telling him, yeah, and we wa I remember watching uh, Lost Boys with my sister and walking out from the movie, he goes, that was such a great movie. And I was like, yeah, that was an amazing movie. And he goes, I wish you could do a role-playing game of vampires, but it would be so bit boring to kill them and only kill vampires. And I said, I bet there's a way to do it and I'm going to do it someday. And so as soon as I thought this, I said, oh God, oh God, stop, stop. So we stopped at the gas station. I got a pen. I got a notebook. And for the next 
four or five days at Gen Con, instead of having any fun, instead of sitting at the booth, instead of barely, I barely talked to anyone. I just sat at the booth writing down notes, I'm writing down notes, and it literally flowed out of me like a vampire. And it, it was as if it had all been there, and and I, and my all my thinking in my life, and I thought of and it, it just came out of me. And, and uh, that wasn't the final game, but that was enough to get get everything going, you know? Yeah, I, I always try to do something like that. And I have 30 years of D&D games piled in my head. And every time I get the paper out and I get about four pages in and I'm like, ah, fuck it. And I throw it away and, you know, I, I don't have the patience, I guess, to like compile it into something. But if I took all my games that I've recorded on tape or on, you know, di- digital, I could probably put something together in my world all my games are homebrew so it's very interesting that's an awesome yeah you know you just took four days and it's like here's a role-playing game you know that's really hard for a lot i mean it wasn't the final game that was just the seed you know of, of what to do and and probably four fifths of that i threw away but oh. you know it, it, it had enough of the um gestalt Right. of the game would be that, that that it was a scaffolding to build it you know and from those five days six days of writing i knew it would be kind of have a mafia element that you know that it would control the world and they'd be hiding uh i had the word masquerade uh i knew that 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 they would um um you know have different powers there'd be different clans that would be my character classes but they wouldn't they would be you know hereditary so when you pick your clan you're also you know it's a society not just a stupid character class right right right, right. <laughs> but we had already done that in ars magica right that was something i already did in ars magica and and so you know and it, it was a it sort of was scaffolded scaffolding on other other ideas all these ideas i've had about what to do with games and even the stuff i did for inferno that all transferred over as well. Right on. Yeah, but yeah. I tell everyone who wants to write games, you know, the key is uh, iteration. You've got to keep going, keep going, keep going. Just iterate, 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 iterate until you finally get there. It's like the Martian, you know? You solve one problem, and then another problem comes, you solve that problem. Either you run out of uh, uh, chances to solve problems, or you run out of problems and you live. <laughs> you know, and so a game design is like that, but you have to have that desperate, almost like my life will be over if I don't complete this. And, yeah. and most people give up, you know, I, I'm one of those weird people that, you know, I, I literally feel in my soul, I will die if I don't do it. And, and, you know, even when everyone else tells me as they did with Vampire, all my first playtesters quit. Um, everyone who was in the company that time, um, thought it was pretty stupid. They thought the basic idea was good. They thought I was ruining it. <laughs> of course, afterwards, they're all like, no, no, no. We always, we were there. We were playtested. It's like you playtested once and then you quit. You know, that doesn't make you a playtester. No. So that's why Vampire was never playtested. Oh, it's such a wonderful platform. I loved it and I incorporated it in my first and second edition D&D, well, more second edition D&D that I incorporated. Uh, a lot of the Masquerade stuff, uh, the Malkavians, it's just, I can't, I've never played anything other than a Malkavian. And uh, currently in my podcast for season two, they're going to fight a dragonborn Malkavian that I've molded into the fifth edition world. Uh, 
while using first edition, you know, vampires books to character. Yeah. So that'll be wow. interesting. So what, what about you, uh, Jason? What did, <laughs> what's your experience with uh, Masquerade? Well, um, yeah, when, when I had a friend that decided that bought it when I was in high school, um, and at that yeah, time, it was right. at that time there was one book. Uh, when I started playing it, there was no Werewolf the Apocalypse yet. There were no other books. When I, I I'm grateful that timing worked out and a friend found it, and I uh, got to play when there was a single book and we didn't know what all the thirteen clans were. They were still mysterious, and uh, uh, played it in its early days and loved it. I, I mean, it's just so evocative. It's so it was so different to instead of playing the heroes, playing the anti-heroes. I think that's why it yeah. captured everybody's imagination. Uh, it, it, it was beloved in our high school as soon as it came out because it was so different. Um, I had no idea what, though, what I was doing. I'll be honest, my first character was Ventru and I didn't get the concept entirely. So I stocked up on Obfuscate, which is not very Ventru, and then frankly played him more like Highlander running around with a sword and beheading other <laughs> vampires than anything. Cause I, I got immortality, but I didn't get goth punk vampire and it was a growing process. Now this is where this ties into lost Lorne. We, uh, uh, one of my game masters, my early game masters was a guy named Derek Stevens that I went to high school with. And as white wolf kept coming out with more games, Derek kept telling people, okay, you buy werewolf, you buy age, you buy wraith. I was told you buy Wraith, Jason, figure Wraith out, figure Wraith the Oblivion out and, and go crazy with it. And that is my game ever now. And Derek Stevens, back in the summer of 2020, called me up out of the blue and said, hey, I'm working on this new game Lost Lorne. Um, why don't you join me on this? Uh, and Derek is one of our artists. And, and, I, think, and I think Derek was who you... Yeah, he's the, one that, he's the one that he's like, you need to talk to these folks. You, you, you're you on to something that they you need to so, collaborate. And I'm like, all right, dude. And then yeah. I, look, I looked up Mark and I was like, oh, my God. Eric is a king of networking. So he got me into Wraith the Oblivion and then got me into Lost Lorne. And he's got you and Mark and I talking on this uh on this podcast, which is delightful. So yeah, that that's kind of, it all kind of networks in together. Um, uh, I loved White Wolf at the beginning, really loved Wraith, and I love Lost Lorne, and I love the chance to be a part of this project. And I'm thrilled that first Mark let me join, and then he's trusted me with a little extra responsibility. And, and uh, uh, I just, I love working with him. He's so pleasant. Even, yeah. when, even when we don't always agree on everything, he's so kind about it. And that's one of the things that just astounds me is he's so easy to get along with. He's so laid back. He's so honest. He's so friendly. Uh, it's just, it's been a joy the whole way. Yeah. What's your PayPal address again? <laughs> <laughs> Across the screen, there's a lot of numbers going on. I'm not really sure what's happening. But, uh, you know, that's the one cool thing about, uh, you know, Derek, you know, introducing me to Mark and, you know, there's not a lot of game designers out there that will be like, oh, this podcast that has, or, you know, it only has like 200 people following. I don't have time for that. But, you know, the fact that you're taking the time and, you know, all of us right now are on different time zones, even if we weren't in COVID, we're in three different countries right now. And uh, you're taking the time out of your day to sit down and have a chat and, and go over stuff, which is um, which is amazing. Again, 25 years ago, I wouldn't think that I'd be sitting here talking to you know one of the people that got me into the. 
you know, I, 25 I, years ago, I, I don't think we had podcasts, but <laughs> but yeah, it was funny. Like there was almost no media back then. It's all oh, no. the internet was just text, you know, very very different world. Um, and uh, so we almost got the only way we really spoke to our fans was at conventions or through our books, you know. So my time was just I just we just had to pump out books. It was exhausting. Yeah, okay. uh, but at least now I know how to delegate. <laughs> yeah, and your artwork, you know, that was one thing that captivated me with with your games that you had in your books, uh, novels, and and all your stuff is that the artwork is what captured me. Uh, if anything, before I even saw the system, is like, wow, oh, those are awesome. You know, art the the idea that that you had for those characters and what they looked like, and you know, I'm pretty excited about Lost Lawrence you know, content, because I know that the art is going to be just as good, if not better. And I, you know, that's captivating for me and, and a lot of our audience uh, in the gaming, you know, especially in D&D, they want maps, they want picture, you know, like all my players have paid for artists to do their character art and uh, stuff like that. And so that's like a really big thing to captivate people is your artwork. And I think D&D really from third edition, up to fifth did horrible with their art uh not saying anything against them but i think if they followed your suit with the artwork and stuff they would have even more followers on uh their content. yeah yeah well the thing is their their universe doesn't really hold together is the problem yeah. it is it's not really coherent so it's very hard to I mean, great artists not just great artists is, is giving them you know, a, a one world to draw, and 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 D and D is is of course you know many many different worlds, and almost is like it's it's it, how what why it's great is that you could homebrew it right you could it, it's you're meant to turn it into your world, but people just generally they just do take okay I'm gonna have elves and dwarves and halflings, you know, and yeah. and all the and all the standard stuff. And then these character classes, it doesn't quite hold together. So it doesn't, it, it doesn't quite work, you know? Yeah. We, but that's we why we've done Lost Lorne, is that uh, with Lost Lorne, we've taken the five equals and we've made a world that, that works. Like for instance, the way we rationalize and make sense of character classes is that they're actual guilds and guilds kind of run all of society in Lost Lorne, except the highborn the noble society and the knights and all that they have their own thing but but the guilds are basically you know the, the they run everything and so the character classes are basically guilds and so when you rise up in rank in your guild um one through ten rank is your adept guild so you have an apprentice slash journeyman and then you go to master and you have rank one through ten in master and each rank just like you know in the masons you get you know the new secrets and all that so it's basically D D one through 20 yep but we made sense out of it you know in a way that 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 uses the 5e system that everyone knows that everyone's familiar with even if you don't play D, you're fairly familiar with D, right yeah i know people who never played D ever in their life and they still like jason jason has played very little D, maybe none and he still understands all the basic stuff of it right yeah. it's that prevalent right, right. it's that Absolutely. prevalent and so we take it, and I'm really proud of uh, what we're doing with Badlander, which is our first um, um, 
full game is we've taken the open game license and we've taken 5e, which I think is a, a brilliant, a really good, it's the best version of DD easily. Oh, yeah. I, I'm really grown to be very fond of it, but we take it to the next level. And for instance, we've made it a little bit World of Darkness. So in World of Darkness, you know, the standard thing is you take an attribute and you mix it with an ability. And then you take those two together and you make a roll. Well, we've done the same thing in D&D. You take a, uh, what do they call the top stats? They're not, they're not traits. They're uh, their abilities, aren't they? Yeah. Their abilities, yeah. 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 So I keep getting this mixed up. So you take an ability and you, and you add it to a skill and that's your bonus on the roll. So you can take any ability and mix it with any skill and you have dots. Right, but it matches perfectly with the D and D system. It, it just great. it just syncs up because in D and D you have your proficiency bonus, which is like one to you know. So it actually matches up very very closely. So we can it's almost like the a two system is taking the narrative, you know, simplicity and, and elegance of the storyteller system, and we're kind of doing it in 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 the, with the five E system. And we even have a character sheet that's full of dots. It looks like it's, uh, you know, it looks like it's, it's like a, a descended from World of Darkness, and it's a Dungeons and Dragons character sheet. I, I love that personally. Which is I'm amazing. Totally in love with that. Fifth edition is very, uh, you know, it works for everybody. Um, even if you're new to playing, uh, one of my players, he he's a professional DM and he does games for families. He'll sit there and design a world for kids and the parents and they do the stuff. The care sheets are real easy to look at. And, uh, you know, I think 5e is really uh, a great system, especially if you're going to cross-platform stuff and, and, you know, interlace it. I think it's a good system to be using. What, yeah. one, of the what, one of the complaints... One of the complaints I sometimes hear about fifth edition is that it feels a little limiting that if you're playing a, uh, if you're playing a, a rogue, um, a rogue thief uh, or whatever they call it, I, he's Mark is right. I don't know D and D that well. Um, <laughs> if you're playing, if you're playing my, my DMs manual and my monster manual just came in Mark like a half hour. Uh, so uh, wow, okay. UPS right. dropped that off. I bought that. But like, if you're playing a rogue th uh, a thief or a, um, or, or a, um, a, a fighter, Eldritch Knight, or something like that, that one of the complaints that we hear is that they're a little limiting. A lot of Rogue Thieves in D&D 5th Edition might kind of look alike. And so one of the things I like about what Mark has brought to, uh, to the equation is that it's not so limiting. There's a lot greater choice even within D&D. &D. Um, yeah. Just something simple. I, in playtesting a couple days ago with two of our writers, Garrett and Rocky, in, in our game, you don't have to make a nature plus, what is it, intelligence roll? You yeah. can make it nature plus wisdom. So one player rolled nature plus intelligence, but the other one rolled nature plus wisdom, and they got different results because they fed it with different stats. And that's the joy of saying attribute or ability plus skill, but we're not telling you that it has to be this ability with this skill. And that little bit of extra freedom can just open up worlds that, that, you know, D and D's beautiful fifth edition. I really like, but we want to make it even one step better. And I and I think Mark is onto something here. Yeah. So so when you do those two different stat checks, as the dungeon master, the GM, uh, right in your book, what? So what's the difference between like using well, those two different skills? Like, what's the so for example, what for example, what we did, um, 
Garrett rolled nature plus intelligence and got the lower of the force they were in, but Rocky rolled wisdom plus intelligence, uh, and I let them choose. And so Rocky was looking out for um, what are the telltale signs that are around me that we might be being followed? Are there paths on the floor that I might be able to work my way through? They were heading somewhere. Um, and Garrett in got, terms, what, what you're doing is you're usually asking for an ability skill. So right. you say, oh, you say uh, you, uh, I make a wisdom check, and then they can add whatever skill they want. But some people say, oh, uh, make, make an intrigue roll, which is a skill, and then they add whatever ability they want. So you, you can basically, the game master can name what they want, and the player gets to add in the other half. Or the game master can specifically say, you know, roll this. And so whatever style you are as a game master, it, it can, you can handle it. So, so Jason likes to be very freewheeling and let them choose, but then he, but then he punches them afterwards, right? They, they chose wisdom plus this, then that's going to affect very much what they understand and how they yep. see it, right? And that, so they could have chosen wrong because they're not going to get the information they wanted, yeah, right? Sure. Whereas it's other gonna... game masters are very rigid and they'll tell you precisely what they want. Well, yeah, because D and D would be like, "Oh, do an investigation roll," and then it's like, "Oh, you see everything." But you know, in right. real real world, that's not the case. You don't always get like the full scope of everything. And so, I like that concept of taking yeah. two different things, and then you might be looking at the same thing, but getting a different outcome for each it, person. Exactly. Yeah, that's but, that's kind of a freedom that, that I, to me makes it even easier as a, as a game master. Um, uh and and gives options so garrett and rocky got different results and that's kind of fun cool and let's face it most of role playing revolves around or you know at least when it's not you know the whole session is combat god forbid um you know oh, that's fun every once in a while that just should be every session in, in my opinion um you know that it's basically make a role you do some role playing you talk you describe things and then you know the game master goes make a roll, right? And so the problem with most role playing games is that that moment of make a roll, there, there's nothing to it, right? It, it's just right. the game; it, it, it's static. And what we're trying to do is create something that that is uh, interactive, leads to narration, leads to possibilities, is very personal, and and and, and sort of explodes the story in a, in a beautiful way. Yeah, I mean, D and D is you know, they have that simple investigation role, but if you fail it, it's like, oh, you don't see anything at all. And that's right. not the case in the real world. Cause like, you'd still see the room. You're just not seeing. And more importantly, it's not the case of stories. When yeah. the stories stop dead, you know, that's, that's why we also have the fail forward uh, idea that, that we have ways in which if you fail the role, you still get the clue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just that you get two clues and one's right and one's wrong. Yeah. Or someone breaks in and, and interrupts you, or, or or something terrible happens later, or you get a disadvantage, you know. But 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 obviously, and this is why I think the way a lot of people play the role playing game. Obviously, if you're playing any kind of detective story, they have to get the clue. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just gonna have a terrible time running a mystery game if they're if, if they can make a roll and miss a clue. Oh my good lord. Well, an example, an example, Garrett, one of our writers pointed out last night uh, uh, on, on Team Badlander, lockpicking at the end of the day can be a very bad skill because let's say there's a room that the story requires the players to go into. 
what if they all failed their lock picking role? Did that just end the story? At some point, you have to say maybe they're rolling against each other and we see who picks it first. But at some point, if the story requires that they get to the bad guy behind a locked door, failure to pick that lock is not really an option if the story continues. Right. This is this is why Badlander has explicit fail forward rules. So so failure never means you do not get into the room. room. That we right. that, that that is a that, that is an explicit part of the rule system. So which is a, which is an addition to D and D. That's not how D and D works. But that is how Badlander works. And that and that basically that is state of the art role playing rule system, right? Yeah. Like like. You know, um, that is state of the art. All, all the really newest, coolest games do that. And, uh, and so bringing that to D&D is really exciting. So, so what you're saying is I need to get Kevin Smith as my DM because he's a very in-depth storyteller and have him run your system. And that's it. That's the pinnacle yes. of it. That's the pinnacle of gaming right there is having Kevin Smith <laughs> <laughs> storytell your game. Uh, does, I like does Kevin Smith run D and D games? Uh, no, he's he's played. I think a little bit with Jason Mewes. I, I listen to all their stuff, and uh, you know, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's someone that doesn't talk, he talks a lot. Uh, so he's notorious for just being a talker, uh, and very his you know his movies because he's very storytelling and all of it. And he doesn't have a lot of action scenes and stuff. And uh, I agree. You know, having combat in every episode is horrible or every session sorry i use episode and podcaster uh i'm editing three episodes right now and they're still in the same combat and i'm like that's three and a half hours of of combat because it's dice rolls and you know a lot of it just having that story is probably the best part you know yeah i think one thing that we we figured out and we still have to do more play testing is we figured out how to make dnd combat fast and uh, there's two ways we do it. Uh, one way is is that um, um, you uh, in Lost Lorne, um, surrendering is right. is part of the culture, and you you can and should surrender if you're wounded, and then uh, they will ransom you back to your people or wait for your ransom, or if they trust you, they'll even just take one of your tokens, one of your medals, and they'll hold on to that. And if you don't come back, they'll post it, and you've lost honor. And so, so, so basically yielding is a big part, which actually is how it was for thousands of years of human history. That is how it worked. Holding people ransom, people didn't get killed in battle. You didn't kill your equal. You, you, you captured them and held them. And if you trusted them, you might even let them go home and raise the money. Um, and so we have that. And the other thing we have is crux die, which is a D6, which you can escalate your bonus to your role. So it goes from one to six. You have a giant D6, but the bad guys do too. So the bad guys get the advantage in the battle and they could have their crux die at five and you could have, you could be stalled out, only have a crux die at one, but you can see how much more dangerous the battle is suddenly. So if the bad guy's crux die is at five and you're at one, maybe all of you should surrender because you're at severe risk of being defeated, you know? Just a couple lucky rolls on their part, and you're all you have a party wipe, and yeah. so so we think the combination of that we're hoping at least, and then a lot of our disciplines, which is our powers for characters, you know the features and all that, they revolve around being able to manipulate these crux die and and doing things. So the heralds, which are one of the guilds, uh, you know the they're kind of the talker guys, the 
wheeler dealers, they actually can do things to affect morale on the field. And that's, and that's super important, you know? It's kind of like a bard with, without they, the instrument. Yeah. Yeah. yeah without, without the, without the lyre. <laughs> and, and frankly, without, without the spells, it, it's bards right. with, that aren't, that aren't wizards. You know, that's the one thing that fifth edition I don't really like is that everybody has magic. There's spells, everybody. everything, and then you get a table full of players. That and the magic know. doesn't make sense. It's yeah. it's unfortunate. The D&D magic makes zero. It, it doesn't hold together. It doesn't feel magical. It just feels like superpowers. You it know, does. There's, there's no feel to it. And if you I agree. T- if you got a table of players and then they're listening to what's happening and they're like, oh, I'm going to cast a spell and they stop and they look for the thing. And I'm like, if you don't know your spell before your turn comes up, don't even do it because don't waste the, don't waste the table's time trying to like read through an ability or is it, you need to have that stuff to begin with. And I think fifth edition is like giving everybody the tool of magic. And now a lot of games are stalled because of it. Uh, Badlander is actually 5e and there are zero spells. <laughs> None. Basically, uh, everyone has disciplines like powers, discipline. Now. So every guild has their own disciplines and their own powers and features, but they're not spells. They're, they work in more of a, in a kind of a different way. And you can build up your powers and get holes, right? But 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 it's easy to remember because because it's it's built on each other. When you get to that third level, dominate. You already know what dominate is. Now you just have to remember how the third level works. So it's a, so it's a bit easier to scale up, and you don't have this looking through the book for random magic spells that don't really fit into the world. And our disciplines also. I mean, there are amazing cool powers, but it's not like someone shooting magic missile from their fingers. Which, you know, if you saw that in a movie, that would be pretty cheesy, right? Yeah. You know, would would you really want to see a wizard in a movie shooting Matt? If that happened in in, in Game of Thrones, people would be really upset. Yeah, they would just be like, Fireball even would be, people would be upset. You know, we're we're beyond that in our culture. And D&D has to have those. Those are, that's a big part of D&D. That's a legacy of D&D. You have to have those spells. You have to have spells in D&D. But with Badlander, we could take all the great things about D&D and 5e and just distill it in a beautiful way so that it kind of works in this magical, more simple way that, that, that lets you have fast combat, not be bogged down and stuff. I, I'm, you know, I'm obviously from how I'm talking, you can see how incredibly excited I am about this game system. One of the neat things is that we don't use the word magic. We do talk about the uncanny and the arcane and how the tapestry of the world of Lost Lorne has been woven together. And there are threads of the supernatural that we call Dwimmer. And so we talk about these different threads of, and of, of the twines. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and, and that these tie into the moats, which is the very things that make you who you are. And so we do oh. still have, we do still have these, these twines of Dwimmer that, that are, that are flavors of what, what we don't want to use the word magic, but they are kind of like flavors of magic, sort of. It should still um, encourage people to look into this and say, oh, it's not an anti-magic world, 
it looks much more world. It just doesn't have spells. Right. <laughs> it's it, it's it's a much more complex way of looking at uh, at how magic of a sort weaves together to create a world, and and how people fit into that tapestry without just saying, yeah, here's a bunch of spells you can cast. I really like our Glimmer system, and I, I, I'm looking forward to sharing it with you down the road. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, and that's one thing, like, I have a lot of magic in my games, but I make my players describe how they pull it. In my worlds, magic is living, and so they have to describe how they pull the magic out of a plant or out of the fire, you will out of the earth. You know, They have to explain how they do it and how they harness it. Uh, you will like our Glimmer and Ortho rules. Yeah. Um, that that that's a system. Ortho is how you you tap into the Dwimmer. It's a good system they've come up with. It really is. Right on. So wh let's talk about your guys' first publication that's coming out. Let's let's talk about the Curse of the Bloodstone Isle. Uh, go ahead, Jason. I'll, I'll fill in after you go. Oh, I love it. Bloodstone Isle is this mysterious island off the coast of our world, Lost Lorne, that isn't always in Lost Lorne. It Lost Lorne is, is surrounded by a tempest storm. It's almost a prison. People can get to Lost Lorne, but they have trouble leaving. And but Bloodstone Isle doesn't stay where it should. And one of the selling points is that you can use Bloodstone Isle in whatever campaign you're using. If you're running Ravnica or Eberron or or whatever, you could be you could be running Vampire the Masquerade. Um Bloodstone Isle pops off the coast occasionally, leaves Lost Lorne and shows up in the mist and in a storm at another world and stays for a little bit. And people might get, people might say, oh, what's this mysterious island? And they'll show up on Bloodstone Isle, but then it leaves again. So, hey, you might be, yeah, you might, you might be a, a um, I'm going to use Ravnica because I know that world may be better than most. You might be a, 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 a Simic mage who suddenly sees this island appear in, in one of the lakes of Ravnica and say, I'll go check this out. And then suddenly you're not in Ravnica anymore. Suddenly this island is traveling again through, through the mists of the, of the multiverse. And then it's back in Lost Lorne again. And now you're, you're stuck in Lost Lorne. And then that just is, is Bloodstone Island, but then it has its own culture. It was conquered by pirates at one point. So it has this, un well, at one time it was a pirate paradise, but uh, year centuries of traveling through the Tempest has, has eaten away at it. And it's not quite the pirate paradise it was, it's been ruined. And uh, uh, there's there's an ongoing feud between uh, Vra the Crone Crow and uh, Jera the Night Queen. And there's this this uh, 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 feud between the this Storm Rider witch and uh, the Night Queen is Mark. Am I allowed to say? Sure. Am I allowed? To, uh, Jera the Night Queen is, is is a vampire on Mount Craw that is dictating things in the background, and uh, uh, so you're trapped in this pirate, the, the, this decrepit pirate island that's being fought over by a weather witch and a vampire. There's a lot, man. There's it, it's hard to it's hard to just sum it all up because there's a lot going on. Um, what a, what a fun place to accidentally get stuck. What a, what a drama to get pulled into. And then you can put it in whatever world you want to put it in. You don't have to run it for Lost Lorne. You could take your D&D &D characters from other worlds and use Bloodstone to bring them to Lost Lorne. Yeah. Or just run Bloodstone on its own. It, it, there's so much freedom to do with it, what you want to do. 
And uh, what's interesting about the format is that we're doing this as uh, a zine that will be doing six months of a zine where you get basically uh, a half-sized book, um, cycle, a gazetteer, and that's for the players to find, to read about the island, and that, that's written in person by a scholar who visited the island with all the sketches and maps and the things he found. So you just give that to your players, and then the, the game master has a cyclopedia that gives them all the stats and tells them the truth of what's going on. So you have a question book, the gazetteer, and then you have an answer book. And when we come up with the zines for six months, then at the end of that six months, we'll put them together into a, a box set with the two half-sized books together, plus a bunch of maps, and we'll have a Kickstarter for that. And we're going to continue with that. Every six months, we're going to have a series of gazetteers that will end up being a book. And our goal is to do that indefinitely, to keep doing that. This is our format. So, you so if you're a member of our Patreon... You get, you get these zines uh, every month, or if you sign up for the uh, Kickstarter, you know, as they're written, you get, get them, and at the end of it, you get the product. So you get and, these PDFs of these zines, and at the end, you get a physical product. And you, the reader, get to explore the way that the characters do. Because it's coming out in a monthly format, um, our first zine is, is just an overview of Bloodstone Isle, but just earlier today, we were all talking about the... the the first region of Bloodstone Isle, which is chapter two, Freeboot Landing. And so you, the reader, get to explore Freeboot Landing. And next month then comes out the Bone Dust Dunes. And not only do the characters explore the island, but you, the reader, explore with them. It's it's significantly more immersive than anything I've ever seen in role-playing. Um, and, and mysteries gradually get drawn out and solved by the end. And I it's it's a little reminiscent of a comic book that drags you along, and I think it's it's a transformative way of storytelling a, a world where you explore it as the characters explore it. Which was like old school role playing, right? As Jason yeah. mentioned, you no, know, he, he was lucky enough to to play vampire when it first came out, and they didn't know what the rest of the clans were. And there's a joy, right? To that. There's a joy to not it was, and, and to have it unfold for you. And so that's what we want to sort of capture again for the people who join us on Patreon as they get to experience that old school join. And not only that, they get to be the play testers, <laughs> you know, and, and play with me. So, so that's, that's a pretty big deal. Cause I don't, I don't normally run games. Right. Oh, okay. So, um, so on Patreon, you get to play with me. That's awesome. I mean, that's the one cool thing. Like when first edition came out D and D that, you know, Gygax and the rest of the crew were, you know, doing the exact same thing you're doing, but they didn't have the digital world like we have now to, to have Patreon and Kickstarters and Facebook and podcasts and all these platforms to put it out, to gather all this data, but to like wait for that next box set, you know, every month or two months, you're just sitting there waiting because you only got just a little bit of content and then they come out with another box that had nothing to do with the previous one. You're like, now what do we do? You know, and I like the concept how you guys have a continuous story that you know you yes. get a little bit at a time and that's how you keep your tables like interactive you keep your tables coming back you know your players are more engaged because they're like oh man it's a whole new area but i get to keep my same character but we, you know right no one knows what's happening you know it's not like now where every player at your table is a dungeon master that knows all the books from 
you know, Dungeons and Dragons or can look it up immediately and be like, oh, that spell doesn't do that. Oh, you can't do that, you know, and sabotage your games. Yeah, yeah, I, I really don't like that. Which is one reason why we I do we do have the Badlander designed so that, you know, um, players are not allowed to look up anything at the table unless it's a gazetteer or something that's been offered to them that their character has. So even if it's a discipline, they've got to remember it and then the game master will tell them if they got it right or not. Because okay. that's kind of how it is in real life, right? Yep. And, and I think uh, that that habit, that very bad habit that players have of looking up stuff and making the whole table wait, that is a, that just slows down the game and it makes it a game and not a story. Right. And role-playing has to be a very careful and beautiful blend of story and game. And you don't want the story to be too dominant. You don't want the game to be too dominant. And, yep. and, and, and looking up either or, or wasting time on either or is, is not healthy. So, I, I, we, you know, as part of the game designer um, craft is that you try to design uh, a rule system so that it doesn't, re- once you've kind of memorized the basic rules, you don't have to look up stuff anymore. Like a great yeah. board game, you have to look up rules anymore? No. <laughs> After you played a, a great board game, you play it one time or even you play it for 20 minutes and you don't have to look up anything anymore. You just yeah. you just can play, and with D and D or with Badlander, the idea is you play one game session with your character, and you don't have to look up anything anymore. You you know it. Yeah. So to to get back to you guys' Kickstarter, and well, soon to be Kickstarter and Patreon, is your Patreon active now? Is that something people can go to? Uh, yes, oh. yes. Uh, Patreon, uh, and just go to Patreon and type in Lost Lorn yeah. or Mark Reinhagen, and you can uh, you can find me. And uh, basically all the money we get goes to the team uh, to, to make more content. So, uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough to, 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 uh, to, to not uh, to be able to, you know, have uh, consulting jobs that keep my family going. And so uh, I'm just we're using this to, to build a bigger team. And the goal is to um, build a team. And we're always looking for new members of the team as well. If you don't have $5 or whatever it is a month for Patreon, and find us on Facebook. We, we do work out of Facebook because we're old. Join us, you know? This is a, a group effort, and it's a collaborative world. And this team is called the Tailspinners. Right on. You know, uh, and all, all of your links will be in the bio, obviously, or in the show notes. I'll, I'll put all that in there. And, uh, Great. Definitely, you know, put you out on all, all of our social media stuff. Because that's that's the new thing to do now is everything's on social media. Well, and we have a... um. We have a demo of the Gazetteer done, and uh, uh, I we should be able to post a link for that today. Um, I just think we're, you know we're, we're getting kind of the final little I's dotted and T's crossed, but we should be able to post. Mark, we should be able to post that on the Patreon probably today, shouldn't we, or a link to it? Yeah, yeah, well, you, we'll get that up ASAP. That's that was one of my goals for this afternoon. This, this episode so, will be out uh, the beginning of the following week, so by the time no, it airs. You guys will have access to uh, get to these areas. Their Patreon, all the stuff will be in the show notes. Um, I'd like to to thank both of you for coming on to the show and uh, fulfilling one of my childhood uh, dreams to hang out with one of the you know creators of one of the games I grew up playing with, and uh, to be at the doorstep of a a new gaming system and uh, platform. So thank you, gentlemen. You bet. Thank you. All right. For joy. Thank you for having us. No problem. Join us 
each week as we interview other folks within our industry. If you would like to be on the show, go ahead and email us at MaximumRollEntertainment at gmail.com or message us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Links are in the show notes along with our guests that we had on today. All of their social medias are linked in the show notes as well. And check them out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you download your podcast. We also have some other shows joining us on the network coming up. Shows like Crumpets and Kerosene, Late Night with Jess and Jam, Dungeons, Dragons, and Dice, Constructed Chaos, and Adventures Roundtable. So stay tuned and learn more about those shows in the coming months. Thanks for listening. Have a great and wonderful day. (music) 